Christmas Eve is really one of the highlights for us as a church every year as we get to gather like this uh, on this special occasion. Uh, we gather every Sunday as a church to celebrate the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But there's just uh, something about Christmas Eve. There's just sort of an extra layer of warmth about a night like this as we gather and we reflect on the birth of our Savior. Christmas is the celebration of the gift that God gave to the world in the person of Jesus. And the Bible describes that gift like this. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is God's gift to the world. Elsewhere, when we read that the birth announcement, the announcement that the angels made to those shepherds, it also reads like this idea of a great gift that has been given. And that, that announcement says, the angel said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I don't know if you are a gift giver or not. For some of you, uh, gift giving might be your love language. That is the way that you best express your love for others. But whether it's your thing or not, there is an art to it. There is sort of an art of giving. And it's not just what you give, but also uh, how you give it uh, the, uh, and the timing of, of when you give it. God is the supreme giver. Bible tells us that every good and every perfect gift comes down to us from our Heavenly Father. The New Testament tells us uh, in the book of Galatians, I think there's a, there's a set of verses there or a few verses that I'm going to read for you now that I think really help us understand the nature of God's gift to us in the person of Jesus. Those verses say this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So if giving is an art form and if God is the supreme giver, then I think this passage teaches us something about the timing of God's gift, the nature of God's gift, and the implications of God's gift to us in Jesus. So the first thing to notice is the timing of God's gift. And I think here we can say that God gave his gift at exactly the right time. You know, the, the, the timing is really an important part of giving gifts. It's important that you do it not too early or not too late. There's something about doing it on just, at just the right time. So on Boxing Day, in just a couple days from now, it will mark 28 years since the day that I proposed to my wife. Uh, and I chose Boxing Day because I thought this would be a great surprise, right? We would have already exchanged our Christmas gifts. And on Boxing Day, we could just kind of casually go out to dinner together and then poof, surprise. Will you marry me? Right? It was going to be this, this great surprise. So we made plans to go out for dinner that night, spend some time together, and the moment of truth came. I got down on one knee and I proposed to Ilona. She said yes, by the way. But there was something in her response that was a little bit subdued. I was a little bit taken aback by it. And so as I drove her home, I was just trying to figure this out in my mind. I mean, was the, the dinner not great? 
Uh, was the moment not, you know, magical enough? Was it something like that? And then finally, I just asked her, you, you were surprised, right? She said, no, actually, not at all. <laughs> and the reason she wasn't surprised is because I had lent her my jacket about two weeks prior to that. She reached into the pocket and she found the receipt for the ring. Now, you have no idea how much a cubic zirconia cost in 1994. I uh, just, just kidding. It was a real ring and all of that. Um, she actually lost that ring a number of years ago, but that's another story. The point of this story <laughs> is that it's hard to get the timing of these sorts of things just right. But the passage I just read for you helps us understand that the first Christmas happened at exactly the right time. It says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. So that's not an accidental phrase. It's used here to remind us that Jesus was born at the exact point in history that God decreed. Those of you who are parents, you you may have tried to do some planning as to when your kids would be born. Not that there's ever a perfect time for them to be born, but as much as possible, you wanted them maybe to be born at a less chaotic uh, period of your life or point in your life. Maybe you had some schooling you wanted to finish first. Maybe you had some debts that you wanted to pay off. Maybe you wanted to take that one last trip where it was just the two of you and you knew it wouldn't be like that for a long time. Uh, maybe you just tried to, spa- to, to kind of space out, you know, the time between your children in a certain way. So we have four kids, and there is a two-year gap between each of our first three children, and then there's a three-year gap before the fourth one came, and that's because we just needed an extra year to recover, right? So sometimes you try to plan this stuff out. I said we have four kids. Our first three kids were all born on Sundays, and I thought that was fitting as a pastor. I was like, that's amazing, and so the, as, as the fourth time got closer, as Elona's due date was approaching that fourth time, I was really rooting for a fourth Sunday, right? I mean, you want to go bounce on the trampoline? Like, what do you want to do on Sunday to make sure this baby comes at the right time? But what you discover is you, you actually have very little control or no control over, over that. Babies come on their own schedule. And our fourth child was born on a Tuesday. Jesus arrived according to God's perfect timing. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Now, Jesus understood this about himself. So at the very beginning of the gospel of Mark, we read this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the question that flows out of all of that is, what does it mean to say that the fullness of time had come or that the time was fulfilled? Why was this the right time for Christmas? Why was this the right time for Jesus to be born? Well, to answer that question, we need to understand a little bit of history and a little bit of theology So historically, what we need to know is that at this point, the Roman Empire was in full control. From England to Africa and from Syria to Spain, one in every four people on earth lived under Roman rule. And the Romans not only flexed their muscles to display their military strength, 
but they were also way ahead of their time when it came to understanding the importance of influencing and shaping culture. So there were two developments in particular that helped make the first century a good time for Jesus to be born. The first was that the Romans sought to establish Greek as the common language throughout the entire empire. This meant that you could literally reach one quarter of the world's population with just one language. The second major development was that the Romans were very enthusiastic about building roads. They were as enthusiastic about building roads as our neighbors to the south are about building overpasses, right? You just kind of see one. Every, you know, there's an outlet store, let's build an overpass. Well, the Romans did that with roads. You've heard about the famous Roman roads or the expression that all roads lead to Rome. Now, the reason they, they built those roads was to allow for the safe transport of, of goods and to keep their empire in check. But once again, their highly developed system of roads paved the way, literally paved the way for the easy spread of the gospel message. These were the things that made the first century a particularly good time for Jesus to be born. But that phrase, when the fullness of time had come, means more than just that Jesus was born at a good time historically. If we were doing a full-blown study of the book of Galatians, uh, we'd be able to go back and trace Paul's argument throughout the book. We're not doing that, but let me just briefly summarize. There are three key figures in the book of Galatians. Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. And the word that we ought to associate with Abraham is the word promise. If you go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you will find that the promise, or that a promise was given to Abraham. And that promise was that through his offspring... Through one of his future descendants, all nations on earth would be blessed. The Jews had been waiting for the fulfillment of that promise for some 2,000 years. Paul was saying that the time for, that, for the fulfillment of that promise had come, and it came with the arrival of Jesus. Sometime after Abraham came Moses, and the word we ought to associate with Moses is the word law. Moses is the one who delivered God's law to his people, to the people. And the Jews had been trying and failing to keep that law for more than a thousand years. They had become weary in the process. So in Galatians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. He says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Paul's point is that the law was our guardian, our teacher, our schoolmaster. And it was actually there to teach us that we could never live up to God's standards. And once we came to the point of futility, once we realized and understood that there was no way we could ever please God on our own efforts, once we understood that what we needed was not a clearer set of instructions, but a Savior, God sent forth His Son. That's what it means when it says, when the fullness of time had come. Now, when I say that the first Christmas happened at exactly the right time, I don't want to limit this just to the first Christmas, or at least the implications of it. We haven't lived under, under the bondage of the Roman Empire. We haven't lived under the system of the Mosaic Law. 
But there's a sense in which we all need to come to that very same place. There's a sense in which we need to come to that place where we understand nothing that has happened, nothing that we experience in the world can live up to what we long for. And that no amount of effort on our part could ever please God. And that all of our efforts have only led to failure and futility. And just like those living at the time of Jesus' birth, what we need most is the news that God sent forth His Son. So have you received that good news? Have you embraced it? Have you embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior? God gave His gift at exactly the right time. The second thing we see here is that God gave us exactly what we needed. Notice that I didn't say God gave us exactly what we deserved, but exactly what we needed. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Jesus is the gift that God gave us. The verse says more than that, though. It says God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And there's a lot in that little phrase, born of a woman, It certainly conveys the virgin birth, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But it also conveys the humanity of Jesus. So being God's son conveys the deity of Jesus. Being born of a woman conveys the humanity of Jesus. So if you've ever wondered, does God understand me? The incarnation of Jesus is proof that he does. Jesus experienced everything that you and I experience. The book of Hebrews says this about Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then two chapters later in that book, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Jesus understands us Because Jesus became one of us. So why was it necessary for Jesus to be born into this world as a baby? Why was it necessary for him to be born of a woman and to be fully human? Well, the next part of the verse helps us understand that. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And when it refers to being born under the law, it doesn't mean born legally or anything like that. It means born under the obligation to keep God's law. And no one who had ever lived before Jesus had ever kept God's law perfectly. And no one who's ever been born since Jesus has ever kept God's law perfectly. But Jesus has. Jesus fulfilled all of the law's requirements. This is why we believe that we are saved by the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus. Jesus was born under the law so that he could redeem those who were under the law. Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And we looked at this quote earlier in the month of December, but I think it sums up this idea that God sent the exact gift we needed in Jesus. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. 
If he had perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And he sent us a savior. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those who were under the law. The final thing I want to draw your attention to this evening is that God gave us more than we realize. You know, gifts are like that sometimes. You receive a gift and you think it's nice, but you discover later it's even more valuable than you could have known. I remember one gift from my childhood, Christmas gift from my childhood that was like that. I was probably about six or seven years old. I unwrapped that present and there was a shiny silver Rolls Royce. It was about this big. The doors, the trunk, and the hood all opened and I just kind of marveled at the, the, the beauty of this car. And then my dad said, well, let me see it. He, and he took that car and he turned it upside down. And sure enough, on the bottom of that was an on-off switch. I mean, I was so excited, elated already with the beauty of this car. But when I discovered it was a remote control car, I was over the moon excited. The car was more than I had realized. And that's actually what we find in this gift that God has given to us as well. Now, they've discontinued the slogan, but many of you will remember that Scotiabank used to use the tagline, you're richer than you think. And the idea was to convince people that somehow banking with Scotiabank would lead to your own financial prosperity. I think part of the reason they discontinued discontinued it is because people made fun of it by saying things like, Scotiabank, you're dumber than you think. Or Scotiabank, we're richer than you think. I mean, it's a bank after all. But be that as it may, these verses remind us that we are actually richer than we think. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we're not just redeemed, we're not just set free from our slavery to sin and death, we're actually adopted into God's family. This is what I mean by saying we're richer than we think. But the good news of this passage doesn't even stop there. Verse 6 goes on to say, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son to live in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Do you see the parallel here? There are two sendings. Two gifts from God. God sent forth his son into the world and God sent forth his spirit to live in our hearts. See, it's the spirit that gives us the assurance that we really are the children of God. It's the spirit that means we are never alone in this world. We so often miss this. And I, and I think when we do, when we don't miss it, then we tend to underestimate it. So earlier I I shared with you the story of my engagement, and I told you that in the years since that day, Ilona has actually lost that ring. Now, the receipt that she found would indicate that the ring that was purchased at a significant cost to me, at least a significant cost at the time. But there was something that accompanied that ring that actually made it even more valuable. And it was a promise, right? That promise was that I would be committed to her, committed to love her for the rest of my life. 
this is what we have with the Spirit. So elsewhere, the New Testament says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is what you have from God. You have the gift of Jesus and you have the gift of, spirit, of the Spirit that lives in our hearts to remind us that we are the children of God and therefore we're never alone. So let me just pray and then we'll sing a couple more songs together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift that you have given to us in Jesus. We thank you that when the fullness of time came, you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as your children. And Lord, we pray we would live knowing that we are your children, that we would live by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.